In December 2007, my work had taken me to China. And while there, I attended a lecture in the Great Hall of the People given by Dr. Xu Jialu, then Vice Chair of the National People's Congress and a noted scholar. His lecture was a most informative overview of the historical development of Chinese culture. At the end of his discourse, one of the guests posed him a question. What, in your opinion, is the greatest threat to China and the world? Dr. Xu paused for some time and then answered, human greed. He went on to suggest that as long as personal or corporate greed was unchecked, peace and prosperous development for the majority of humanity would never be sustainable. He admitted that for China, then entering a rapid period of economic development, unchecked greed would lead to corruption, which would threaten not only economic growth, but China's own stability, and indeed, on a broader scale, throw humanity back into the seemingly unending cycle of hope and despair, peace and war. Was he right? Is human greed a threat? Is greed controllable? There are some in our world today who feel greed motivates society to achieve greater things. Others share Dr. Xu's view that greed results in corruption, conflict, and great disparity of wealth. Is there a solution to the greed question? Stay tuned. Webster defines greed as a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. The dictionary goes on to suggest a number of synonyms for greed, including covetousness, avarice, mercenariness, and rapacity, to name a few. It is easy to see that greed is more than a simple desire for something. We can all desire a commodity, an improvement, or achievement without being driven by greed. Greed is more than desire. It is, as the definition stated, a craving for more than one needs. It is often associated with a desire for acquisition, position, or recognition at any expense, regardless of whom it may harm. There are some in society who view greed as a positive motivator of Western economic development. The 1987 film, Wall Street, featured Michael Douglas in the Academy Award-winning role of Gordon Gekko. As the film's hero, Gekko proudly expressed the now common view that greed is good. This phrase has been used many times since among those who see greed as a factor that, despite its problems, overall benefits society. Is it possible to determine if our present society has a problem with greed? One indicator that our culture is comfortable with greed might be recent reports that bank employees dealing with customers are pressured to sell products the customer neither needs or wants. An RBC teller from Thunder Bay, Ontario said, even when customers don't need or want anything, we need to upgrade their visa card, increase their visa limits, or get them to open up a credit line. It's not what's important to our clients anymore, she said. The bank wants more and more money and it's leading everyone into debt. A CIBC teller said, 
I'm expected to aggressively sell products, especially Visa. Hit those targets. Who cares if it's hurting customers? Greed tends to deflect the conscience to the point where the welfare of others can be suppressed in the drive toward getting more, be it an individual or large organization. Truly, many Canadians found this report very disturbing. Most certainly, this would be an example of greedy behavior. Yet the banks are in fact playing on a characteristic that has become all too ingrained in modern societies. But it is not only some large organizations and their leadership that is afflicted with greed in our day. Anglo-Saxon culture has spread to nearly all parts of the globe through film, music, television, and the internet. Along with these cultural elements come endless promotions to consume products of all sorts. Modern advertising is designed to make a person feel that their wants are in fact needs. Within this milieu of messaging is the philosophy that endless consumption can spawn happiness and satisfaction. And this has generated a new culture in the West of expecting instant gratification and needing a steady stream of audiovisual stimuli, the latter in part because modern education has not taught or encouraged reading. Therefore, people are informed through Twitter and other such platforms with information of the most shallow kind that does not foster an analytical thought process. Such a population can easily be made to believe just about anything. In times past, in virtually all cultures, it was thought wise only to purchase what one needed or what one wanted if and when one could afford to acquire it. Yet in our present society, every effort has been made by financial institutions and by those promoting products to encourage a purchase, whether large or small, as soon as possible through the means of credit. Credit, of course, is used to drive consumption of products through the creation of debt. One idea developed by some economists over the years is that our economy is fundamentally driven by consumption. Such a position then looks at consumer behavior as the gear wheel of economic growth. Thus, if there is a downturn in the economy, the solution is to encourage spending. And this can be accomplished by increasing the purchasing power of individuals and then encouraging them to spend. The encouragement to spend is often in the form of extending credit. In other words, we encourage people to help the economy recover by creating additional debt. We see this all the time. Cars are so expensive, many cannot afford one. And those who may often opt for a vehicle beyond their means. So dealers offer 84-month or 7-year payment plans. The customer would likely benefit from a much less expensive car, but is enticed into taking on a major long-term debt in which one will end up paying considerably more than the actual price of the vehicle. Others are encouraged to accept lines of credit or additional loans, often using a home or house mortgage as collateral. Unfortunately, the first law of economics, often called Say's Law, does not agree with this premise. It basically states that production is the source of demand. In short, we must produce before we consume. It is the supply of products that creates demand, not consumption. In an article written for the Foundation for Economic Education entitled 
consumption, innovation, and the source of wealth, economist Stephen Horowitz states, yes, producers produce because there are consumers who consume, but it is production, not consumption, that creates wealth. In any economy that wishes to be sustainable, the creation of wealth, whether food production, production of primary resources, or manufactured goods, must equal or exceed the value of consumption. The problem in the Western world is that consumption currently exceeds production of wealth, and this is at present being sustained by the creation of more and more debt, hence ballooning deficits and national debt numbers. One of the casualties of a greed-driven mindset is the loss of wisdom and sound reasoning, an overwhelming desire for position, material possessions, or even fame can distort reasoning and lead to unwise decisions at a national, corporate, or even personal level. In the next segment of our program, we will examine some of the ways in which greed in our present world is affecting every one of us and will inevitably bring our economy to collapse, if not addressed. I would, however, like you to take a moment to offer you an informative new special report never before offered on this program, titled Greed, a Global Disease. It will explain how greed has become entrenched in our modern social fabric and how it impacts us personally, nationally, and globally. It will also offer you a remedy. Here's how you can order your free copy. To request your free copy of Greed, a Global Disease, call the number on your screen or you can order online at TWCanada.org. This special report reveals current, troubling economic trends which affect you and your family. While many believe they hold the key to creating prosperity for all, there is one trait which is often left unaccounted for. Greed. So call us now or visit us online to get your free copy. If you missed our contact information this time, I will give it again later in the program. Welcome back. In 2000, cultural historian Morris Berman published The Twilight of American Culture. One of the concerns he expressed was the diminishing ability of a growing percentage of our populations to have the funds to satisfy even the most basic needs, let alone the quest for luxury items. He states that in recent times there has been an unprecedented redistribution of income towards the rich. In terms of wealth disparity, the United States leads all other major industrial nations. Author Ron Chernoff, in his book House of Morgan, explains that in the United States, many executive salaries are now more than 400 times the wage of their company's workers. In the meantime, companies aggressively pursue hostile takeovers of other companies, bringing about consolidations, with enormous payouts for executives while thousands of workers lose jobs and incomes. Similar situations are at play in developing countries where leaders consolidate wealth while average citizens struggle in poverty. Berman warns that while there is a natural uneven distribution of wealth in any free society, such extreme distortions are dangerous and that this kind of inequality could eventually destroy the entire social fabric. Just how severe has this concentration of wealth and subsequent loss of buying power among the majority become? 
author Julian Edney has become quite well known for his two seminal essays entitled Greed One and Greed Two, in which he discusses some of the consequences of a society driven by a lustful desire for material acquisition. In his essay, Greed Two, he provides a stunningly blunt example of the wealth gap that has developed in the United States and some other Western nations. If you drew a line on a building three stories high to represent the distance between the lowest and highest family income, the average or median income sits only ten and a half inches off the ground, and half the nation is clumped below that. Second, despite the prodigious numbers of poor, housing for them is so scarce that of the 3,141 counties in the United States, in only four can a person making minimum wage afford a one-bedroom apartment. There is no doubt that such a situation is an imbalance in society. Edney goes on to explain how national media, whether in programming or advertisements, repeatedly show people in situations which reflect the upper reaches of the vertical line. The majority of people feel like they're losers in this comparison. Marketing ads then encourage people to lift themselves to a higher level by making purchases. Phrases like, you deserve this, or soon everyone will have one attempt to make the hearer feel a need to buy and show they now possess a measure of success. Other ads show large expensive homes as the habitation for the average family, when indeed the real average home is far less ostentatious. This pressure to buy, much of it achieved through credit, debt creation, produces another problem. Edney goes on to write, personal debt has reached swaggering amounts, and bankruptcies have ballooned, now running at 1.4 million a year, outstripping the divorce rate, also outstripping annual college graduations. Still, there are those who defend such economies and who say that despite all of our problems, we are still better off than people in other countries. However, the data is shifting on that point. Note Edney's answer to this. Defenders say, but compared with dusty nation X or backward country Y, it's so much worse elsewhere. We are the envy of the world. When we compare nations, we should keep in mind who we are comparing. Every third world nation has a middle class, no matter how small, with houses, and those folks are still better off than our hordes of homeless and our wealth inequalities are so stark, poor people here are worse off than many of their foreign counterparts. Beware of what we are told in modern media. The crushing reality of economic mismanagement because of greed and the encouraging of personal debt loads that people could never be expected to pay off are witness to the truth our society is driven by greed. On a related note, Nobel Prize-winning economist Joseph Steglitz makes the claim that our economy is stagnant largely due to inequality, with far too much wealth being in the hands of too few. Thus, the poorer folk must borrow to acquire. The same Forbes article points out another facet of economic behavior. Savings and investment, which enable increased productivity, 
greater specialization and trade are the true engines of economic growth. Increasing consumption is a result of that growth, never the cause of it. If we want sound and sustainable economic growth, each of us has to discover the most valuable ways to serve others and contribute to the supply of wealth before we take from it. This is very wise advice. And in the final segment of our program, we shall examine some ancient and proven wisdom that will help each of us combat the destructive effects of greed. In the meantime, here is how you can receive your free copy of our new special offer entitled Greed, a Global Disease. Reserve your free copy of this Tomorrow's World Special Report by calling the number on the screen and asking for Greed, a Global Disease. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. Have you ever asked where is the world headed? Or what does the future hold for me? We answer these questions and more in our magazine, Tomorrow's World. It is also yours free of charge. So call us right now. We have operators ready to take your call, or you can order online. I hope you enjoy the rest of today's program. In the first two segments of today's program, we examined the culture of greed in which we are now immersed. In order to find a solution, we must first recognize that wisdom is normally the first casualty of greed. How many very intelligent people, including large investment managers who were unhappy with what they had, wanting more and submitting to greed, departed from wisdom and made bad decisions? Without thought for the lives they were harming, they embezzled fortunes. Sometimes, in the case of Bernard Madoff, defrauded people of billions, ruining his own life and that of his family in the process. We ended the second section of our program with a quote published by Forbes magazine. In that quote, John Popola stated two things that are most important. Each of us has to contribute to the supply of wealth before we take from it. To be a productive member of society, we need to focus on being good workers or producers of value, ultimately producing more than we consume. This is very much the opposite of the way in which the world now thinks. Hence, the world is in financial trouble. The other point Papola makes is even more cogent. If we want sound and sustainable economic growth, each of us has to discover the most valuable way to serve others. Greed destroys wisdom and common sense because it is a fundamental violation of a universal law. Greed is predominantly selfish and self-centered. It forces the victim to place so much focus on the me that the greater reality of the world is distorted. Popola thus correctly points out that the antidote to greed is getting the mind off the self. Focusing on one's own life leads to greed and selfishness and these can cause a host of destructive attitudes and approaches. A selfish heart loses perspective and ceases to empathize with the physical or emotional needs of others. Thus it ceases to look for ways to serve and make the lives of others a little better. Whether they be a spouse or family members, friends or strangers, seeking to bring a moment of happiness or relief to another is a medicine for correcting selfishness and greed and all their dreadful effects. Even the Roman poet Horace 
observed the sad state of the person who was covetous, covetous being another word for greedy. The covetous man is always in want. No matter how much he or she acquires, it's never enough. The Roman writer and historian Seneca, who had the misfortune of being the advisor to Emperor Nero, similarly observed, for greed, all nature is too little. But this is not only the conclusion of modern experts and ancient Roman writers. As two millennia ago, a great king and philosopher also observed the same power in serving others. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Solomon recognized in his observation of thousands of people that those persons who had a generous nature were happier, and even though they might not be rich in material goods, they were looked after in times of difficulty. In other words, they were better off in every way than the person who was driven by greed. The prophet Isaiah was also moved to express the truth about the benefits of a generous heart. But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. As hard as it is to get people to understand this simple point, it remains a truth, that happiness is not a function of wealth. There is ample research to support such a statement. Our commercially driven society would have you believe that happiness is a product of material acquisition, but that is a great deception. Truly, being financially well off is not a bad thing in itself and can be a blessing in many ways. But wealth alone does not produce a contented person. Wealth can provide an opportunity to be of service, but that requires a generous heart, a heart not given to greed and covetousness. Earlier in this presentation, I mentioned that greed is a fundamental violation of a universal law. We find in the constitutional law that God gave to Israel and by extension to all mankind, a concluding legal requirement known simply as the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The prevailing influences of our present society encourage us to acquire all we can now without exercising the patience and good sense to wait until we have the funds to obtain what we need and not just what we want. Spending beyond our means leads to bad decisions, unpayable debt, and all the unhappiness and stresses that creates. As Eric Fromm wrote in Escape from Freedom, Greed is a bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. On the other hand, working diligently and saving what we're able to save and living within our means while not keeping with the expectations of society will produce a much more stable home. If in that condition one remembers the advice of the wisest of all, then happiness can also be a part of one's life. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Greed takes us away from what is really most important in life, 
that being the development of our character and the opportunity to contribute in one way or another to the betterment of the lives of those around us. This can result in true satisfaction, a satisfaction that can only come from living within the framework of the laws that God has set in motion for all his creation. If you have not already done so, please take the opportunity now to order a free copy of our special report, Greed, a Global Disease, and it will provide some amazing details on how mankind has been and is affected by lust for power, wealth, and position at the expense of people's lives. And it will also show how this dreadful characteristic can be overcome. Thank you for watching, and I hope you will stay tuned for tomorrow's World Answers, which will air momentarily. Be sure to tune in again soon when Gerald Weston, Michael Haykoop, and I will discuss the issues that affect us today and the good news of tomorrow's world. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M 0P6. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. There is no lack of false doctrines some have twisted scripture in the effort to promote. These often sound wonderful and have some sense of logic to them. God loves you. Of course he wants you to be rich. Today's question is this. Is the prosperity gospel biblical? Jesus understood that his disciples had given up much to follow him. He encouraged them by explaining that God would repay a hundredfold what they had given. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold. Some have twisted this into a convoluted formula, instructing viewers to send in a hundred dollars and God will give you back ten thousand. How many have been left bankrupt or in severe debt because of such a selfish teaching? How many have had their faith in God shattered or ended up depressed assuming that they were just too vile for God to live up to his end of the bargain when that $10,000 never materializes. The true gospel taught by Christ tells that the reward we are waiting for will come at the time of Christ's return. You can read of that at the end of Hebrews 11. And yes, that reward will be far more than a hundred times more valuable than anything you could possibly give to God. The sixth chapter of Matthew contains some beautiful promises where Christ reveals to us the folly of worrying when we obey a God who can take care of us. It also warns about seeking after riches. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can only serve one God. The prosperity gospel encourages trying to gain leverage with the real God, in order to seek after the false god of physical wealth. Please don't misunderstand. Wealth itself is not evil, and God's way of life does lead to success beyond your wildest dreams. But it does not carry with it the promise of great physical wealth in this life. It encourages us to focus on what is ahead, the kingdom of God. To submit a question for the show, email us at twanswers at tomorrowsworld.org. 
Be sure to watch us online at TWCanada.org or by searching Tomorrow's World Answers on YouTube. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for living an abundant and happy life while providing insight into current and future events. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Write or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.